Welcome back to the Rural Roundup, produced in association with the Scottish Government. I'm Kerry Hammond and on today's episode we'll join farm advisors Tiffany, George and Robert to find out all about what's happening in the agricultural sector and what to be aware of for the next wee while. I'm going to tell you about some resources available to you through the Scottish Farm Advisory Service and I'm joined by Sasha Grierson who's going to tell you more about a new tool on the FAS website called the FAS Problem Solver. Hey guys, how's it going this week? It's fine Tiffany, it's, uh, it's been very cold. Um, last week's snow has, well, given way to a lot of rain. Everything's very wet, so um, not much is happening in the land, I'm afraid. We were really lucky the last um, last spell there when you were getting all the snow, George. We were getting all lots of frost and lots of nice good weather, so we've a fair bit done down here. But it's now we got a uh, thirty mil of rain yesterday, and nothing's happening now. So we're back to back to square one, uh, but cold, definitely cold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm. I've been, I've been working my way through an NVZ this morning, and um, I noticed that he started the the chap started sowing on the seventeenth of March last year. It's not going to be doing that this year, that's for certain. No, it's very chilly. Yeah. I think two weeks ago when we were recording, I was saying about how the soil temperature had got up to seven degrees. And down in St Boswell's, we put the soil thermometer in a couple of days ago and we're back down at five degrees after all this cold weather. So it's no wonder the crops have stopped growing and the grass doesn't really look to be doing anything at the moment. It's just an early spring though, isn't it? You know, last year was exceptional. And this yes. this year probably feels a bit more normal. I don't think there's anything remarkable that's happened. It's just always a frustrating time of year when you're waiting to get going. We were spoiled last year, there's no doubt about that. I do feel like it's been a fairly easy winter for us to get through, though, in comparison to some of them we've had. Yeah. Yeah, certainly Lamin and Cavan. I'm thinking about home Lamin and Cavan's on us all of a sudden you know it's been we've probably cruised through the winter and it's been as you see tiffany fairly straightforward and now we're now we're there we're into into the real work and things and i ain't looking forward to it but certainly it's um somehow it's now the the spring months and we're we're away again lots to keep us busy i've definitely yep. noticed the last couple of weeks my calendar has been getting fuller and fuller with people looking to book in their iacs or single application form appointments for the year and um, so definitely people are starting to think about that do you have many booked in Robert? All of them I think so we we pre-book them we put a letter out and we have done for quite a few years so our guys are quite well in the system so we've uh, got a pile so I've got a lot of a lot of wee ones to do in the next few days and then into the the, the bigger businesses later on in the uh, later on in the month so yeah really looking forward to it. How about you, George? Um, it looks like it's going to be a slow start, um, but yeah, there's always there always seems to be just a date, then suddenly there's a deluge, and everybody wants it done that day. Um, but but no, um, it'll start. We know the we know the duration of the window, um, and and once once people start coming in, you just get into the swing of it again, and away we go. It is quite nice getting into the swing of things. You know what's happening each day and it's really great seeing farmers in the office and being able to have a chat and a catch up with them. I think particularly post-COVID, you know, we say it all the time, how good it is to be back out and about, but it's really nice to have farmers back in our offices, being back on their farms and, you know, 
getting that human contact we didn't get for two years. You know, it's really it's good to be back into what normal actually is. Yeah, last year we did see quite a few face to face, but you know everybody was still getting back to normal after the pandemic, and uh, I think this year you know we're back we're back in the, in the real world effectively now, and and uh, yeah, it, it's going to be good to be in back to the the first normal Ajax for is that four years since twenty nineteen. It's wild, isn't it? A long time ago, isn't it? Yeah, time definitely flies. So for this year, for the single application form, the claims window is now open. It opened on the 15th of March and you have through until midnight on the 15th of May to submit your application form. So it is plenty of time, but it's a great time now to start thinking about it. And I think it's important to point out that although the 15th of May is a deadline, there's nothing stopping you getting that in the door any time and I mean we've got a vested interest in saying that but also there's a lot of peace of mind just knowing the job's done it's in the system and a lot of them last year we submitted the system now I mean the system's had a lot of obviously had a lot of teething problems from 2015 took a long time to get up and get going but we were now in or last year we were in the position there was a the majority of our um submissions were actually processed and ready to pay the day that we put them in so actually if we you know, get get it in the door, and that way you're you're in the bite the best chance you've got to be in the first payment window, and hopefully have a big lump a big lump sum arrive in your account in September or October. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it's something to look forward to. Yeah, I think there's a generational thing there as well that there there are um there just seems to be you know an older generation that, that just want to get it out of the way, and they they'll always come and see you early on, and be very organised and uh, but yeah there's always and I'm sure Robert Tiffany um, you could write down the names of the, the tail enders who are the same every year and uh, will appear at the last minute <laughs> those are usually the ones you start phoning now to try and get the appointment booked yeah. in and pester every week to make sure they're not on the last day yeah, but yeah. just taking a step back, um, entitlements, the transfer deadline is the 2nd of April, so it is a bit sooner. So make sure you think about getting your entitlements transferred in plenty of time. Um, it's not long to go now, so it's a good thing to be getting done. And that's yep. an absolute deadline. That's not a, but I'm a good guy or but this is a unique story or whatever. That is an absolute deadline. And if you don't have it done, you're out. You're not getting paid this year, or you're not getting paid for whatever you're claiming you, you would use those entitlements for this year. And what a waste. You know, the money's in the system. The entitlements are there in someone else's hands who they, they won't be using them. And I think of, any, of anything I hate is when there's, when there's money in the system allocated to farming and then we don't have the process right to get the money into the farmer's pocket. So just make sure that if there's any question about entitlements or anything, speak to, look into it or speak to whoever you deal with and make sure it's right now yeah. rather than on the 3rd of April. Yeah, de- definitely. There is, there is, if there is any dubiety at all and whether you've got a wee bit of too much or, or you don't think you've enough, get checked out and, and, you know, you might have a few to sell, you might get a wee boost um, from that. You might need a few more. Uh, you know, a two, three hectares, particularly if you've been, uh, I know certainly up here, we've got seen a lot more cabling works. So these can take two, three years to be put the land back in place. And suddenly you have a hole in your entitlements, which you, you know, 
you need to try and make up and and it's worth just checking that out because it you know just tops it up tops up your income definitely good advice i've not had anything to do with national reserve before but could you say a bit about it Um, because i know it is available for new entrants into farming to get money from the national reserve yep so i've got a couple this year who are new guys coming into the industry um and basically if you're if you've had no farming activity at all so you've never owned a sheep owned made a claim in the past at the department do not know you exist you're eligible for the national reserve but the important thing there is to do all the necessary homework before you tick the box it's a fairly straightforward process on the iacs but it's not straightforward or it's also a straightforward thing to throw out if you're found that you're you're not eligible so now's the time again before that entitlement transfer deadline have the conversation with a consultant and have a conversation with the department and be as sure as you possibly can be that you're eligible because at the moment if you're not eligible there's a great option to buy entitlements for somewhere about 150 pounds per hectare and you'll get 220 back so in the first year you'll be you know, it, it's the best investment in agriculture is buying entitlements at the moment. And, uh, you know, there's, just make sure you go through the process that you need to go through. And hopefully, for the vast majority of people who are new entrants, new to the industry, they will be eligible. Um, but just timeliness is important here as well to make, make sure that we've, we've got enough time to go through the full process and make sure that you're going to get the money that you're due. Yeah, it's also important to remember that uh, there's not just the basic payment scheme at stake. Um, certainly for younger farmers, there could be young farmers top up, which adds another, depending on the size you're holding, it could add another two, three thousand pounds to your claim. Um, if you don't make a success, you know, if you're not claiming entitlements, you don't get that top up. Um, it's, it's, you know, so you really need to. Um, gather together your information um you know it's not a guarantee the national reserve um it will be assessed um but you need to you know ask questions speak to an advisor uh speak to the department and and you know ultimately at the end of the day it's going to be your own assessment it's it's, you know it's your own decision it's a commercial decision at the end of the day um but uh, you just have to gather gather as much information beforehand as you possibly can to allow you to make that decision we often get asked in these these situations, you know, why does it need to be the 2nd of April to transfer entitlements and why, if you've made a beef calf claim 10 years ago, why are you not eligible for BPS and things? And the answer to that, to all these why questions is because that's the rules. And it's such a big, such a big scheme and there's so much to administer. The department can't please all the people all the time here and they need blunt ways of in and out. And, and actually... Usually the why questions come from when we've not had time to go through all the options, all the, you know, fully appraise the situation. So really just to reiterate that, the sooner we speak to someone who's new to the system, the more options and the more chance we've got of getting somebody in the system and getting yeah. you know, a positive outcome for September, October time. It's definitely lots to think about. So after people have entitlements and have got all that sorted, a lot of the next date to think about is the 16th of April for getting land maintenance forms submitted. 
So if you've gone and merged a field, split a field, built a shed in a field, all these changes, you need to go and uh, let the department know about these changes. So you can fill in a land maintenance form. You can do the traditional paper method and fill in a paper form. Or you could go and fill it online on the Lipis map viewer, which I found very easy to use personally. And it's been a great way of being able to easily go and make changes to fields. And it very quickly gives you new field numbers and field areas as well. So it's quite quick and easy to work from. Yep, um, I, I would agree. If Take the time to look at your maps. Um, maps change. Um, invariably, they're not always right. Um, there could be fields to be split. There could be fields to be merged. There could have been sheds going up and your boundaries around about your steadings have changed. Um, if you read you know, the route of the guidance that goes with it, the onus is on you really to keep your maps up to date and um, just make sure that, that you know, you go through that map and just fully understand even excluded areas. Are there a right bits? Uh, typically, we see areas, of course, excluded. You've maybe pulled that out now and it's maybe growing grass. Does it come back in? Conversely, side of the hills may be much more covered in gorse, so you maybe need to exclude a bigger area. Um, but just take a look at your maps. I often think about those excluded areas when, you know, it's quite a hard sell sometimes when you're saying to somebody we need to take a bit off that field. But when you look at what we're, so it's an area-based payment for re Region 1 ground, if we take off 0.1 of a hectare, which is a big, big deduction, it's £20. You know, actually the, the financial penalty to deducting a bit generally isn't a massive you know it, you can build a fair shed on half a hectare and it's a hundred pound deduction you know it's not um it's not the big deal that we often make it into it's definitely worth keeping on top of it as well so you don't suddenly have a lot of changes to make in one go so if you do submit your land maintenance form before the 16th of april they are very quickly being turned around in a couple of days and it will then, if you've got a, your single application form in draft or submitted, you will need to go back to it and make changes um, to the form to take into account any um, adjustments that you've made. If you go and submit um, your land maintenance form after the 16th of April, those changes won't be processed until the end of the IAX window. But you will have until the 31st of May to make a change to um, your IAX to take into account the land maintenance form with no penalties. Um, I think it's also important to point out that um, when you're filling out your your SAF IAX, um, if you're of a certain generation, consider your EECS contract and make sure what options you're doing is actually they're in the right place and you're doing the right options in that field. Um, you know, if, if a field is supposed to be in retained winter stubble quite clearly, it can no longer be in grass. Um, it can't be in potatoes, um, so it's it's just making sure that everything is, uh, you know, everything's in the right place, basically. And, and if you've legacy contracts, make sure things like green manures are sown the following year and such like. It's definitely a time where we do need to dot our I's and cross our T's and make sure everything's done. The other thing people will be thinking about, uh, particularly arable farmers, is their ecological focus areas for their greening and producing maps for that, making sure they've got their hedges, field margins in. Um, it is a huge topic that, but there's an excellent episode on Cropcast 
that was making better use of EFA. So it's definitely worth a listen and it's a good way to have a think about what options you're using at the moment, potentially what you could include going forward as well. Link in the show notes. I think that's given a bit of a summary um, of IACs or single application forms and I think it will be mentioned a few times over the coming weeks as it does take up a big chunk of the year really. Um, what else are you working on at the moment Robert? I'm basically just getting my desk cleared ready to go so as you say we're heading into that period where we've pretty much got one job on so uh, at the moment I have a couple of budgets just finished a labour report there for a, a, a new house on a farm and I've got a big estate visit tomorrow so quite a lot on and then into full steam into Ajax after that so uh, yeah plenty happening exciting times. It does, doesn't help when you're off for a week for lambing as well. It's a fortnight for lambing too so <laughs> but no we fit it in every year so it's a uh, the busiest end of the year and it just it's I don't know whether it's unfortunate it all comes together or it's fortunate because it's some some buzz when it's really going but certainly roll on the tail end of me when things are things are cooling off a bit yep um and yeah i'm busy at the moment uh it's it's amazing just in the run up to ix what, what appears out of the woodwork it's tidying up stuff a lot of entitlement transfers going on land transfers happening um so they've they have to carry on even though we get going with ix um so yeah and tidying up nvz's and other things that are coming in cropping plans still a lot of people just deciding what's going in the ground and so yeah we're keeping busy well i hope the next couple of weeks um are good fun rather than too busy and we'll see you again next time cheers Tiffany. yeah bye the rural payments and services online mapping system has had a refresh and update with increased functionality the system's now called map viewer and lipis graphical editor Many of the updated features will be useful as you look to submit your single application form. Check out our dedicated FAS articles that talk you through how to use the new features, saving your precious time. If anybody's forgotten their password to get into their single application form since last spring, We've also uploaded a video explaining how you can reset your password to make sure you can gain access to the Rural Payments and Services site. You can find all of this info in the show notes. Sasha Grierson, Principal Consultant at SAC Consulting and a key member of the FAS Digital Development Team, joins us to tell us about the FAS Problem Solver Tool. The FAS Problem Solver, it's a new area of the FAS.scot website and it came about because we realised that m most people just go straight to the web to search for resources when they have problems in their day-to-day -day working life. And if you're a busy farmer, you're going to want to get to resources quite quickly. You've had a long day out outside, you've come in, you've had your tea, you've sat down, and you've got half an hour to reflect on your day and you just you, you're going to the website uh, to the web to to try and search for resources you'll have your favorite places that you go but sometimes you can end up in a bit of a kind of sort of search spiral where you end up with far too much to even begin to try and read resources so the problem solver tool is designed to narrow down the amount of information 
that we can offer you on the FAS website and to get to it in three clicks. So, for example, you're a dairy farmer, you're not quite sure what's going on with your silage component of your ration, and you just want to get to some resources about silage quite quickly, see what's available. You would click on Problem Solver, and within Problem Solver, you've got six choices beef, dairy, sheep, arable, sustainable systems, and then the FAS toolkit. So you click on Dairy, and then you end up finding different categories animal health and welfare, herd management, soil and environment, feed and forage, selling the milk, business resilience, and you'll obviously click on feed and forage. And then you get to three areas of interest, one of which is silage. You click on that and you get to 10 resources only. And in amongst those, some of those are monthly publications, and yet others will, will tell you a little bit about, for example, maximizing silage quality. There's an article there you can read, and that might help give you a bit of understanding about some aspects of, of the silage component in your ration. It may well be that it doesn't solve your problem, but it's only taken you about five minutes to get there, and you've read the article in about five minutes too. And so the goal of the problem solver is to help you find your way to resources really quite quick. What we did is we put together little expert project teams. And one of the expert project teams was on the dairy tool. And today I've got with me Lorna McPherson, our expert dairy nutritionist, who joined me and a couple of other people. And we sort of brainstormed the best way to divide up the subject matter in dairy farming and we came up with these six categories and then the areas of interest within each category. So Lorna, would you like to introduce yourself? Give us a little bit about your what, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Thank you, Sasha. So yes, I'm a dairy consultant with SEC Consulting. I'm based at the Crabston campus in Aberdeen and a lot of my work is working one-to-one -one with dairy and some beef farmers as well, advising on nutritional management of their herds. I also offer nutritional support to our team of consultants that work in our offices across Scotland and Northern England, as well as nutritional support towards our own veterinary services. Um, SRUC does have three dairy herds of its own based down in the southwest of Scotland, so I'm responsible for the nutrition of them. And I also get involved in lecturing students from time to time on dairy herd management and nutrition. It sounds like you have quite a busy remit, Lorna, and also a highly technical remit um, as well, because dairy cow nutrition is, is absolutely, it's, it's critical, isn't it, to success of the herd? Absolutely. It really is a very uh, key, important area for, for dairy farmers, uh, especially when feed costs are at an all-time high at the moment they're looking to try and feed as efficiently as possible. But yes, it is an extremely varied role and there's uh, always good challenges to, to try and solve and help farmers make the best they can out of, yeah, out of their system. And Lorna, um, you, you worked on, this, uh, you worked on this, this concept and along the way, we, we realized that there were certain gaps in, in the provision of, of content that's appropriate for farmers. And 
can you tell me about one of those gaps that we identified? We identified a gap about hygiene quality, didn't we? Yes, we did. I mean, there was a lot of information uh, on uh, the dairy pages on the FAST website regarding nutrition, herd health, grassland management and forage quality, etc. But there was very little about um, the hygiene quality of the milk and what kind of um, tips and recommendations we could give to try and improve hygiene quality, which at the end of the day has an impact on the milk price that the farmer receives. That's critical, isn't it? Because in our, in our, um, in our problem solver work, we identified that it was quite a big category, or it should be a big category, because the, 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 milk, the, the income that you receive from the milk check, that's actually what it's all about. It's about getting the, right, the, the optimum amount of money for the inputs that you make. And um, and so we have this uh, we have this category called selling the milk, and as farmers we have a, an awful habit of thinking all about our production and slightly less about our sales, and we assume that we will do all this amazing work and produce a fantastic product, and that someone else will just come along and buy it. But actually, there's a, a very significant technical spec to achieve in 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 getting that best price, isn't there? That selling in that category selling the milk so so tell us what you mean by hygiene quality yeah so in terms of hygiene quality there's two key measures so one of them is the somatic cell count and one is called the bacta scan so the somatic cell count really refers to cells of the immune system so that's the white blood cells and the level of these somatic cell counts will give an indicator of the level of bacterial infection in the udder. So generally, a level under 100,000 cells per mil, the udder is classed as uninfected. However, if the somatic cell count is over 200,000 cells per mil, then it's likely that that cow is infected in at least one quarter. So ideally, we want the somatic cell count to, to be fairly low, and a good sort of herd average target would be somewhere below 150,000. Milk processors will tend to have a threshold of uh, 200,000 as their target, ideally less than that, because over that level, then it's possible that penalties might be incurred. And then, so the second measure of hygiene quality is the Bacta scan, and what that really refers to is the total bacterial count in milk. So again, the lower the better. So the lower the Bacta scan, the less bacterial infection there is in the udder. And, and obviously the healthier the udder, the healthier the cow is as well. So the target for a standard litre of milk for a Bacta scan is less than 30,000. And again, over that, there might be penalties incurred depending on the milk processor. And one of the reasons that they don't like high levels uh, of a Bacta scan is because it can affect the shelf life of milk and cheese and other dairy products. So that's highly technical information, which which you've incorporated into an article that we've put into the selling the milk category, and uh, and it's called meeting the contract, isn't it? That getting your hygiene hygiene quality right, and that's um, you've you've just alluded to some quite sort of a, a quite a technical specification. And you, we can. So, if you needed to remind yourself what that technical spec is, or how to how to improve those markers of hygiene quality, you'd be able to get to that information in three clicks. 
using this new tool on the FAS website. So tell us a little bit more about, um, there's some other areas to focus on about reducing somatic cell counts and then um, some other kind of technical information. Do you want to just touch on a few of those points? Yes, yeah, so there's a number of different areas that we can focus on to try and keep uh, the somatic cell count below the target. Um, I mean, often a high somatic cell count can be due to contagious mastitis pathogens, which are spread from cow to cow during milking, either by the milker's hands or the milking equipment. So things like having a good um, routine in the parlour in terms of prepping the cows before the milking unit's attached is really important. So, for example, having a separate washcloth or towel uh, to prepare the teats for milking so that we're not transferring bugs from one cow to the other. Um, and it's also just making sure that the milkers are keeping their hands clean, wearing gloves. There's a lot of things that we can look at as well in terms of the environment that the cows are housed in. So we want to try and keep the housing environment as clean as possible. So that means things that, like regular scraping of passageways, so there's not a lot of muck uh, and slurry in the passageways. It's keeping the beds well bedded and dry. Uh, and also things like you know keeping the cow's tails clipped as well, so that there's just they're just generally cleaner around about their back end and where the udder is mm -hmm. uh, and the teats. Mm -hmm. There's also some maintenance things that we can look at as well in the parlour. So it's making sure that all the the rubberware is inspected regularly uh, to make sure that there's mm -hmm. no cracks or tears. So a general rule of thumb would be that liners in the cluster should be replaced after about two and a half thousand milkings and also in terms of management if possible can we milk cows with mastitis and those with a high cell count last so again it's reducing the risk of transfer of bugs to, to other animals in the herd via the milking equipment. Thank you Lorna that's really helpful and very detailed technical insight this is a great example of how you can find that level of technical detail in a few short clicks through the FAS Problem Solver tool. You can find the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rural Roundup. Throughout March, we're continuing to release bonus episodes, each telling a short story of a successful diversified farm business in Scotland. The most recent episode was released last week and features Tina McPhail from Grinavat Community Hub on the Isle of Lewis. The Rural Roundup is taking a week off, so we'll see you back here for your usual dose of Rural Roundup content on the 12th of April. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.